All right, so welcome to um, our Teaching Value in Healthcare Net Learning Network. Um, join us to hear leaders in the field share practical and tangible advice about how to teach and deliver high-value care. With national concerns about rising healthcare costs, as well as overuse and misuse of medical care, Cost of Care, in partnership with the AVIM Foundation, hosts an open forum to discuss ways to initiate, implement, and sustain feasible innovations in value at your institutions. I'm Jordan Harmon. I'm the Director of Advocacy at Cost of Care and Vice President of Strategy at CityMD. Uh, I'll be leading and moderating today's webinar. Um, and we're lucky today we actually have uh, one of the forefront leaders in value in, in New York City uh, joining us, uh, Chris uh, Petrelli. He's the clinical lead for value-based management um, Manhattan and, uh, at NYU Langone Medical Center um, here in New York City. Uh, Chris, welcome. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. And I just want to mention, you know, Chris uh, was also one of our uh, winners of uh, the Teaching Value Challenge um, and specifically the Humana Award. Uh, brief history on the Humana Award. It's um, it's for innovation and value-based care, and it was given to a healthcare professional that improves or informs the practice, uh, the practice of value-based care. And the award was seeking to acknowledge unique value-based care interventions designed to address one or more of the following topics. And it's really just, you know, ability to, to um, implement a value-based care model, impact value-based care and health outcomes in a population, um, affecting value-based care model, enhancing experience of physicians or clinicians, and reducing high health care costs. So Chris and his team uh, won the Humana Award, and thanks to Humana for sponsoring that award for us. Um, Chris, if you can tell us a little bit about the project that you that you led, um, what drives you, and then um, we'll get into some of the specifics. Uh, sure. So um, the I actually joined NYU in uh, July of 2018, um, and NYU uh, since about early 2014, late 2013 had a um, a program called value-based management that had started. Uh, initially, the program was focused on um, trying to manage our rising um, Medicare losses was the initial impetus by our dean and CEO. And um, so he uh, allowed his chief medical officer at the time, Bob Press, to form a group um, made up of uh, finance uh, leads, um, several analysts, project managers, and uh, some clinical leads as well in order to identify opportunities for value and to help um, basically uh, shepherd along value projects across the institution. Um, and sorry, what was the other question? No, 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 and then just about you. So you said you, you arrived um, back then and, and just Tell us why you're so fixated on value or, or what, what drives you um, in, in value-based care. Yeah, so just taking a quick step back. So um, I actually started um, as an analyst in banking on Wall Street. And um, after my second year, I decided to uh, switch to a career in medicine. And initially, my goal was to open up some place called Petrilliatrics, the one-stop shop for little kid health. And at the, looking back now, I realized it was the antithesis of value. Um, but during uh, my residency at Michigan, I had this amazing clinic attending 
uh, named Mark Fendrick, who is now the, uh, he runs the value-based insurance design program at Michigan. And every time a patient would come in with back pain or insert your choosing wisely vignette here, uh, he would always ask the same questions, which are, so uh, let's say I wanted to get a back an MRI because someone was having back pain. He would say, well, how is this going to change management? How long is it going on? There's no red flag signs. And then, um, and then he would ask a question, so how much is this going to cost the patient out of pocket? I would have no idea. Well, what insurance does the patient have? I have no idea. So he would run through these scenarios and he said, okay, so you don't have any idea about the MRI. Let's say that's free. And then the incidental finding is found on the MRI. What are you going to do when the patient has complications from future procedures or, or other tests to identify this benign lesion that we never should have seen because the MRI was inappropriate. And that would happen week after week. And then I started um, realizing that this is what I wanted to focus on, um, which is um, basically improving the value of care we deliver to patients, um, not only, um, but in a guideline-based approach. So once I discovered choosing wisely, uh, that was a great, um, uh, step for me to realize, oh my God, I'm doing all these things wrong, and then starting to uh, spread that around to um, my colleagues. And then at, at Michigan, we had a similar uh, uh, group that would try to eliminate low value tests. Um, but then when I uh, met NYU at a, a conference, the High Value Practice Academic Alliance in Baltimore, I saw that NYU was doing so many amazing, innovative things regarding value, specifically around tracking the metrics. They had a robust cost accounting um, system that allowed us to actually track metrics that were important, both from a utilization aspect, which the providers would care about, as well as what the senior leadership would care about in terms of the overall financial picture and how our projects had uh, affected those uh, metrics. So. Um, I talked with Frank Volpicelli, who's the system lead for VBM, and Nicole Adler, who was the um, uh, VBM lead for Manhattan at the time, and she started uh, VBM at uh, one of the other hospitals we acquired in Long Island, and we just hit it off, and then uh, a few months later, I uh, accepted the position and started in July. So it's been quite the journey, and I'm so happy to be here. That's a great story, Chris. and. Um you know, I think resonates really with me as well, because I think that's how Cost of Care got started as well with Neil uh, Shaw, who started the organization and brought other physicians, clinicians into the team. But it's really, you know, the fact that nobody knew what things cost, nobody understood what, you know, even back then, choosing wisely wasn't really, um, you know, kicked off yet. So I think a lot of progress has been made. And, you know, thanks to you for Sort of driving that at NYU. Um, so talk a little bit about, you said in 2004, NYU uh, instituted a comprehensive in, uh, institution-wide value-based management program, um, and it was really designed to systematically identify and act upon opportunities to increase value. So can you talk, that was the project that you submitted and, um, and got awarded uh, the Human Award. Can you talk a little bit about how that project got started um, and then what you guys implemented specifically? Yeah, so it started with uh, basically a three-pronged approach. So that group that uh, uh, Dr. Press had led, he was the chief medical officer at the time and then chief operating officer. So 
so he, he had basically three ways of identifying projects. One was um, sort of a, a top-down approach from the executive leadership team that saw that there was a problem in one of their reports and analyses that were already done. The second was the VBM team, the value-based management team, um, would um, develop these dashboards that allowed us to look at uh, various uh, expense groupings, um, so basically like blood utilization, labs, pharmacy, radiology, and we could see where um, either certain providers, certain services were using um, these uh, products or services um, at a uh, at a frequency that's higher than expected, and we would dig down to see how much of that was appropriate versus inappropriate. And then uh, we identified a couple of um, uh, four big projects that pretty much kicked off BBM. One was uh, Daily Labs, so we saw that's been a kind of a, a ubiquitous um, uh, presentation now at a lot of different uh, institutions that uh, present posters at various conferences. But uh, here, what we had seen was our root cause after discussing with um, nursing, residents, uh, attendings, basically across every service, including the lab. Um, we, so the key to our success is really every time we start a project, we involve every possible stakeholder and get their views about how they currently think these tests or procedures are being ordered if they're if they think they're appropriate and then um, we get everyone's consensus to say here are the here's the literature behind this here's what everyone here's what the consensus was and we try to match up wherever there's guidelines that uh, will um, guidelines that are in line with our consensus or guidelines that once they're shown to the stakeholders um, they say whoa I didn't realize that that was something that we should be looking at. So uh, it's really educating all the stakeholders and then getting their consensus. Um, and it makes a huge uh, difference when you're trying to roll out these projects once everyone's been involved. So our, our first couple of projects were daily labs. The transition, the second is the transition of IV medications to oral medications. And then the, um, the third one was uh, blood utilization were three big ones that we started out with. Um, so those were three that were uh, determined by this data-driven approach because we have some all-star analysts and project managers that are able to identify this through the, I mean, I couldn't even open these files in Excel, but they're able to put all of these um, reports together in a tableau to make it visually appealing for us. Um, so they're a phenomenal team. And the third way is we have a, um, what we call, uh, it's basically a return on value assessment form. And uh, what we, so that any person in the organization, regardless of what their level is, what their department is, they can submit to the BBM team what they think is a potential area of overuse. And our BBM team will, will, um, will look at the analysis that the person may have already done, but even if they haven't, our analysts will look and see, is this really a problem in NYU or is it just an anecdote? And then we report back to the person and say, thank you for submitting this. Here's the actual data across the whole institution for utilization. And if we see that it's a, a pretty significant uh, potential opportunity, 
we ask them if they want to be one of the leads on the team that helps roll this out. So it really gets everyone involved, which I think creates this culture across the whole institution of wanting to do more and wanting to help improve value for our patients. Yeah, that's really great that you guys, you know, get people involved because I think that's part of, like you said, the culture piece. And, you know, if you don't have it built into the culture, it's really hard to, to change behavior. Um, I just want to follow up on one, and you may you may have already answered it somewhat, but, you know, folks are listening to this thinking, you know, I want to implement, you know, a value-based project in my institution. I like what Chris did at NYU, um, but I, I see a lot of resistance in my organization. Um, you know, you're talking about taking the evidence-based clinical protocols and matching those up against behavior. And um, at least in my experience, that has gone in two different directions, you know, in very well, uh, you know, um, organized groups. Um, sometimes folks don't always agree with um, with those protocols or those changes. How did you guys, uh, you know, overcome those barriers or at least adapt to those that were resistant to it? Or resistant to it? Yeah, no, absolutely. Great question. So I, I think a lot of it is just uh, repetition. So we uh, went on several road shows. So we will basically meet with uh, clinics, we'll meet with individual provider groups, we'll go to from the frontline um, weekly or monthly meetings, however often they are, to the monthly service chiefs meeting, which are the senior leaders across every service in our institution from a clinical standpoint. We'll meet with the nursing leaders as well as the individual unit uh, nurses to whenever they have their um, uh, 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 weekly or so meetings. And really we present them with, here's the data that we found in the literature that says what we should be doing to our patients and what's guideline based. Here is what our current utilization is at NYU. And when it was available, we would actually show the specific services Here's how you specifically do. Um, we kept it anonymous so that it wasn't on the individual provider level at the time. But basically, once they see that their service is doing worse than another service, that kind of friendly competition also helps to drive things. Um, and then uh, finally, we had an amazing uh, MCI or IT support team, which allows us to take those guidelines and put them in the electronic health record not necessarily in a uh, interruptive best practice alert form, but we can use other techniques. So um, for blood utilization, it, we basically just asked people um, what the indication was for, their, for the transfusion. Um, and we can also incorporate best practice alerts when necessary. So if someone has a hemoglobin of 11 and they're ordering, someone's ordering blood on them, then it would alert them to say, the guidelines say it should be seven or eight, depending on what the indication is, and are you sure you want to order this unit? It didn't prevent them from ordering it. If they wanted to continue, they could either insert a comment or we gave them uh, two or three potential reasons why they were ordering um, they were ordering that blood with the hemoglobin of 11. But once people thought, like realized that they had to answer those questions, and then a second alert came up if based on the lab data, it wasn't possible then, um, uh, including IT solutions that's built into the workflow rather than interruptive or something where they have to go out and search for a specific order set or something on those lines is, I think, much more helpful to have a streamlined IT approach. Yeah. 
No, that's really great. And, and, you know, I think you hit on a couple things that we always talk about. So we talked about culture first, but you also talked a little bit about how you put it into the system so that the clinical team didn't really have to think about it. So there's, you know, thousands of protocols and you want certain behavior changes, but it's really important to make it easy. And it sounds like you guys made it easy for them to do the right thing. And obviously you don't want to prevent somebody from, you know, being um, a, a clinician because that's why, you know, folks are trained, but, but at least you um, provided the right guidelines in the system. Um, so I want to ask, you know, sounds like you guys were super successful and um, changed a lot of behavior. You, you know, when you submitted the project, I think um, you, you quoted, um, and maybe this is like an overall number, but the total savings uh, was approximately, you know, 59 million bucks. Um, can you talk about, you know, because a lot of, a lot of um, people listening to this might be asking, you know, I, I want to do this, but um, my institution's really going to think through, you know, the cost savings and I need to prove that out. Can you just talk a little bit about that and how you, how you guys got to those numbers so that people can um, have a better sense of how they could do it? Yes. Um, so, well, um, it's, it's once, so the key is to have, make sure you have a, good foundational cost accounting system in place to actually be able to quantify these metrics. Uh, I know a lot of institutions, um, that's where one thing where they lack, where once you get down to the actual order level, the cost accounting kind of breaks down and then there's, it's a lot of allocations to things that don't really uh, match reality. So that's really one thing that potentially the finance group can manage. It's not something that clinician needs to do on on their own, but it's something that the institution needs to prioritize if they really want clarity around how these value initiatives will improve the bottom line. Um, so I think that that's one of the most important things. But once that's in place, it's very easy to then show uh, reduction of utilization. So what we saw is with our daily lab project, you know, number one, um, if uh, the direct cost of those labs, which is actually on a per unit level, relatively small. Um, but when you take into account that um, the time that the nurse or the phlebotomist was not drawing those, drawing those labs that they were able to prepare for potentially discharge, uh, you can try to look at other surrogate metrics like length of stay. So if you could reduce length of stay, assuming that there's some kind of backfill, so as long as your occupancy is above 80 to 90 percent, which a lot of uh, academic centers are at those levels or higher sometimes. Um, so you can assume either 100 percent backfill, 50 percent backfill, and you can start quantifying what how those length of stay savings are actual real dollars. And then um, secondly, um, so you have the direct variable cost, you have the average, the, the length of stay, and then um, you have any subsequent downstream impacts of those cost savings. So we found that a lot of when people we were having iatrogenic anemia, so once they became uh, anemic, we saw that there was a lot of other labs that were being ordered, like uh, ferritin, B12, all the anemia workup labs that probably were just secondary to the fact that we were bleeding these people by taking their blood every day or multiple times a day. So you can, once you identify the key metrics that you want to look at and you have a solid cost accounting system in place, it becomes very easy to calculate those numbers. 
and even um, small impacts, which seem relatively small when you spread um, uh, just for daily lab utilization, if that decreases by 100,000 tests, that's, that's enough to pay for several more nurses, case managers, or other things that can improve throughput and flow through the hospital, which can then in turn improve their bottom line. So there's a lot of things where minor cost savings can lead to major improvements in the organization. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Um, and I think, you know, you mentioned it, having a good team. So, you know, the partners between the clinical folks and the, the finance folks and the, you know, the data team, I think is really critical. And you mentioned that. Um, Chris, any last thoughts on, on what people should be thinking about if they're trying to implement a value-based project at a similar institution, academic medical center, so on and so forth? And, um, and then uh, finally, any, any follow-up information that people can sort of reference that you can think of that was particularly useful to you? Um, you mentioned choosing wisely, but, but anything else that you think people should be um, looking at? Yeah, so I think um, so. choosing wisely is a great place to start. So even just with labs, there's about 63 labs there where you can, without any chart review, you can look at which, uh, how, what percent of the time those labs are adhering to choosing wisely guidelines. And when I say without chart review, so there's some tests where that are never order more than once in a lifetime, never order this test before the previous test is positive, like free T4 and TSH or the specific antibody panels and ANA. There's a lot of different examples. Uh, actually, we found about 63 where just using uh, at an, an analysis from an Excel file, you could be able to quickly see where the uh, areas of opportunity are. Um, the other thing that I would suggest is I would really make uh, stress the importance of getting all of your data accurate at first, because one of the things that comes up frequently at least previous institutions, is people don't believe the data. So they say, well, that's, I don't, that, that can't be right because X, Y, and Z. It's really important to have one centralized data source where everyone knows that. So at NYU, everyone knows that the VBM data that we provide is the source of truth. So it, it, it's, it's exactly, we can roll up to our financial statements. Um, and once people realize that that data is the source of truth, it becomes, they become much more receptive to uh, taking uh, feedback. Um, so if you give them a report saying, here's how you're doing compared to your peers, it means a lot more than if they always have that defense, which is, well, this data is not right. I don't know where this is coming from. So I think that's one of the things that I think everyone should take away is having a clean uh, institutional centralized data source for all these projects is important. Um, the other thing to do is there's, uh, it's really important to have a data-driven approach first. So a lot of times what happens is someone has a great idea or they think it's a great idea because they read it in an article or they've just seen it anecdotally. Really making sure that before you put in these resources, project management, analytics, um, just a clinical team, nurses, case managers, social workers, before you get all of those teams to work on a very specific project that came up in an anecdote, really important to make sure that you've identified that this is a, a big enough problem system-wide where the cost of all of those people's time is actually worth potentially doing. So if you have six doctors on a team and they work for four weeks straight when they could have been potentially seeing patients, so you want to make sure that the cost-benefit 
of those is, is worthwhile. So the upfront analytics is, is going to be incredibly important. You could still, I think it's important to have those anecdotes and then just make sure they're verified with actual data. Yep. Yep. hundred percent agree. Um, and really, really good advice. Um, well, you know, this was really informative and, you know, thanks for joining us, uh, Chris. I think you guys are doing a lot of great work um, and obviously uh, continuing that work. So planning a lot of future projects as well. So um, I'll, I'll just, uh, we'll just close up and then, um, you know, people can join us uh, next time as well. But uh, thanks for everyone joining today. Um, thanks to Dr. Chris uh, Petrelli at NYU for joining us. Um, for more information on Cost of Care's Learning Network webinars, um, please visit us at costofcare.org slash learning network. Um, you can listen to this uh, on soundcloud.com uh, or follow us on Twitter. Um, we're also posting these on the costofcare.org website, so you can find it there as well. Um, so, uh, you know, thanks again and really appreciate you joining, Chris, and um, uh, we'll talk to everybody next time. My pleasure. Thanks for all the great work you guys do. Thank you.